Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. Okay, we shall start. We uh, saw last week that um, ministering is kind of analogous to, uh, I guess you could say, um, family. Uh, in the sense that um, mother was used in uh, verse 7, verse 8, a nourishing care of a mother. Do you remember that? That's how uh, we finish that section, section up. And uh, we know that a mother is gentle, a mother is affectionate, um, she nurses her, her child very dearly. So what we do is we continue on with that thought, going on in uh, proceeding through the rest of this section anyway, at least through verse 12, uh, that analogy of the family, and um, so we will look at um, father, and actually there's there's a sense that there's a brother in there when you look at brethren, so we could we could get that one in there too, since uh, that's definitely part of the family, uh, but anyway, Paul considered himself a spiritual father, uh, he, he's like a mother, and yet he's like a, a father to the believers at Thessalonica. For one thing, we know that he is one that brought them to the, the, the gospel. And so he, he did that to the saints at Corinth, almost the same kind of thing. Um, the father not only begets children, but he also cares for them. He, he teaches them, uh, and he wants them to grow up. That's, that's what a father does. So he just doesn't get them... You know, born into this world in a physical sense and spiritually, we still get them born again, but we don't get them born again, obviously. But um, God uses us as a part of that. But we see how a father cares so much all the way through and bringing them up and, and growing up. And that's what the Thessalonians needed to do: to grow up in, in the faith, and they were doing quite well. But um, there have been some false accusations. Almost every book that you see that Paul writes, it seems like he has to defend himself uh, to a degree. Uh, and he points out some duties of a spiritual mother, a spiritual brother, a spiritual father to Thessalonians. And uh, so we'll be uh, looking at that tonight. The work, the walk, the words, and finally the whole purpose of it all. So uh, why don't we uh, go to the Lord in prayer, ask for wisdom in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you. You are certainly the glorious God. And we look to you for everything. Thank you for being our Father, that we can call you Father, that we can come to you in whatever situation in our lives that we're at. We come because we know that you want us to come to you. And you are a Father who cares, a Father who disciplines, and a Father who desires us to be like your son Christ. And as we look at your word, may it help us be conformed more to him. May it make us conform to what a servant, what a minister, what ministry is. And thank you for the example that uh, we have in Paul and the example that he gave to the Thessalonians and all of the, the churches that he had started and all the way up to the churches through history to even right now. Thank you so much for your inspired word. Jesus, name, amen. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, let's uh, let's look at this section. Nine through twelve is what it is tonight. Rather a short section. Tonight Bible study. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. So is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father for his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Did you notice a lot of key words stuck out there? A lot of word pictures here that really define what uh, Paul was doing. First uh, section that we deal with in verse 9, the uh, first section is dealing with the work, the excellent work that uh, Paul had done. And you might put the word brethren there. I might be fortunate. Most outline this is the mother, and he was, and the father, but... Uh, you know, a brother plays a big part in a family, too. He's a, a big brother and a, and a, and a good brother. Um, and he says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day. You notice some words there that kind of compare each other um, that seem to be very similar. Labor, hardship, working. Uh, I would think that that probably pretty well gets the idea across. We'll look at those words in a few moments. You have to remember there are accusers now uh, that are even that have come to Thessalonica, just like uh, they go everywhere. They accuse Paul, uh, saying that he was uh, greedy, that he was a peddler of the gospel, did it for money, did it for financial gain. And Paul has to remind the Thessalonians, not that he really has to, maybe, uh, you know, just in case, or maybe it was taking uh, its toll there at, at the moment. And he says, it's like, for you recall, brethren, you recall, don't you? Don't you remember? Don't, don't you remember how whenever I came there, um, I was with you? You remember this, right? I wasn't aiming at wealth. I didn't ask you for money. Um, he wasn't aiming at any power, was he? Knowing Paul, prestige. How about popularity? You get popular pretty well, um, sometimes in a good way, and in uh, other ways, not good at all. Um, possessions, he wasn't that. Particular favors, he wasn't after. Um, matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, that's long, it seems like a lot, a lot like Corinthians sometimes. Yeah, it can get confusing. Although the churches are definitely quite a bit different in their character, for sure. But in 2 Corinthians 6.10, it says, We were poor, and the ministers with them, apostles and such, we were poor making many rich spiritually. We were poor making people rich. Not the way of money necessarily, but rich in the gospel. Um, but Paul's life and others who were with him was really marked by poverty and, and, and disrespect and trouble and persecution all, all throughout his ministry. Um, and though uh, the church at Philippi gave Paul a little bit, they'd sent some for financial help at one time. Paul really was a what? 
by trade. A maker. And so that kind of uh, that kind of work took a lot of his time because uh, you know, making those that's gonna take a uh, it's toll on maybe uh, getting some rest. Uh, so he had worked night and day during ministry and then also at the same time um, paying for his own needs. Obviously he's going to have to pay his own way for food and wherever he stays at. And really when you think of Jerusalem, you think of um, Israel, you think of the teachers there, you think, oh, they were highly paid, right? No, the rabbis were not paid. They would have a regular job and uh, then they would uh, they would have a trade to support themselves. So Paul did what was normal to other teachers and rabbis from Judaism. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. This came to mind, and maybe I knew it at one time. It seems like I should have had it all these years, but what did the Pharisees do? The Pharisees. What did they do? Or was that just a group? Like, like we are Grace Community Church, that that is a group. Well, they, they had their own. There were Pharisaical rabbis and there were Sadducee rabbis. Yeah, you would have people who were who were um, they were the interpreters of the law, of course you had the lawyers, and you had the Pharisees and, who would be amongst that group themselves. Um, so, well, I'm so thinking of Paul. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but what right. of Pharisees? But what what did that mean? Of course, I think by the time it got to that that there were different sects of different uh, groups. And of course, Pharisees, Sadducees, you mentioned two of them. Right. By the time whenever Jesus was uh, walking around, they had already been uh, established. So, is it just a group, group with a certain mindset, or or did they have certain duties? That's, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Um, what would make him a Pharisee other Pharisees? Because he believed it more than, or as much or more than any other Pharisee? Well, he fought, he fought, he fought for, like, for instance, on what Judaism was all about. Uh, if anybody's a Pharisee, he was a Pharisee. Of course, he had studied it. He went to the elite school of Gamaliel. He knew it very well from the day that, that he grew up. So he was raised... In that sense, so yeah, Oh yeah, well that's what they, you know, you, you have to think of the law and how they defended the law because they believe, you know, like the Sadducees don't believe in the first five books. Okay, they didn't oh, even okay. believe in resurrection. They would be liberal. The Pharisees, if anybody's fundamental and conservative, it's these guys, you know. And, and of course, they they took it to the point they reinterpreted scripture what they did. They reinterpreted the law. Um, they were examples of how people were supposed to live. Okay. Well, I'm having a hard time asking questions. She's wanting to know what their employment is. What did they get? Well, like we've got the Senate and the House of Representatives. The Senate has a certain function, and the House of Representatives has a certain function. There were Sadducees in Sanhedrin, and there were Pharisees in the Sanhedrin, correct? Did they have different functions in the Sanhedrin because of their being a Pharisee or being a Sadducee. That's what I'm putting at, and now I'm getting way down rather than we don't need to go down. So, that's a, I don't really understand I mean, if, if Pharisee or position, how the position was uh, 
Since, yeah. since you're a lawyer, can you give me uh, can you give me a few days? Sure. And and, <laughs> and I I will get back to you. You know, you know I, I will. You know what I'm and asking I'll give you because you're want, you're wanting some really good details. Well, right. appointment. Yeah. He's yeah. asking for continuance on as as far that was their job. I mean, that's what they did. Okay. Uh, they they were paid. I guess you could say by by the taxes. Of course, there was just okay. tax and all that stuff. But the rabbis were not paid. Right. If, if you were a traveling itinerant rabbi, you know, a teacher in that sense, of course, they could have been Pharisees too. But uh, as a whole, they really were, they did it as not a profession, but they were like tent makers or whatever profession that they would pick up to get their living by. And uh, then they would teach, and that's basically what I wasn't prepared at all for that. That's a good question. Sorry, just, but no. <laughs> no, but you said the study for all these times we've heard about that, and I never thought, so how that exactly did that really work? Besides them, groups of them just following Jesus around. So they could like, be like you. You're a pastor, but you have a different job during the day. They could have lots of different jobs. And some were appointed. I know, I know that the Sadducees were the elite, and they took care of the temple. They so, took care of the temple? Yeah. So those, those, all of the high priests, everything that has to do with the high priests, all of those were Sadducees. So they were elected to those positions. I don't think elected. I think it was a uh, The Pharisees would be the ones who uh, had put. Of course, they they put a lot of study in too. And, and of course, I think your your Sadducees. When you when you think of the Supreme Court that they had, I think that they really were the instrumental people involved in that too. Um, But, I'm sorry, I got uncalled. That's just wonderful. So the Sanhedrin was a completely political um, system, and I know that the Sadducees and the Pharisees did not like each other at all. They actually came together so that they could fulfill that prophecy. Was, uh, if you read Acts 3, I think, when it quotes uh, David in Psalm 2, when it says, Why did the, the rulers of the earth Uh, set themselves against the Lord and his anointed. And Acts talks about how the Son of God brought together all these enemies that became friends so that they could kill him. Uh, Sadducees and Pharisees, they brought, they brought together Herod uh, and Pilate, who did not get, to get along before that either. So. Strange bedfellows, wasn't it? But they'd actually get together. And of course, Paul was able to use um, what he, he knew the Pharisees believed, what the Sadducees believed, and he's, he, he made them very upset at each other when he brought up the fact of the resurrection. He knew that that's what they were doing. But that's, that's what liberalism does. And of course, they didn't believe in the inspiration of, of Scripture, which really would have not. So Paul was also a rabbi because of the law? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I guess you could say that what he did is he, he had learned he had learned a trade to support himself, and of course God had, had used all of his upbringing, even the, the stuff that seems so bad in all of Judaism, is still something that uh, is used later on in, on his life. But he forfeited really the right to... to uh, to live on offerings from the people 
Um, and we, we see in Scripture where Paul himself says that um, people that present the gospel have that right to, to help be supported. But he passed that up. And there were a lot of reasons for that. One was that coming into towns for the first time and setting up churches is going to bring in wrong impressions from people and uh, they would think that he's some kind of religious peddler, which he was not, so he, he chose not to take money. And, and of course, you can't expect people to support a work before they even become Christians. And how can you ask for uh, money from people who are, who are not even believers yet? Um, and of course, later, you know, he can teach about proportionate giving and such. But uh, then the third one is um, you've got to have new work. You have to have the time to, for that to be able to get built up, to get on its feet, to get going. Um, we know that there were times where he did receive gifts from the Macedonian believers. So you know, see something like that. Anyway, that's. I, I put that forth because it's saying that he labored and had hardship working night and day. It was not only a ministry, but it was making a living uh, because he had to support himself. That's the reason I went to all that point. The word there for labor is, is kapas, and it means hard work. I don't have to define this too much. It's dealing with difficulty, difficulty of your day-to-day there. And the next word is going to be something very related to it, labor and hardship. Hardship is a makhan. It's a wearisome labor. It's toil. It's um, difficult. Is the idea. It's, it's distress on on one. So you put those two words together, and they sum up the whole of difficulty, hard. And, and I, I would say this is really what true ministry is about because it is hard. It, it takes a lot of time. A lot of effort, um, the kind of comfortable time that you would have ordinarily, uh, you don't necessarily get much. Um, and what he's saying, it was quite a trial. It was very hard, very difficult, physical, and spiritually and mentally. Uh, and then, of course, he has labor, he has hardship, how working night and day, and there's our night and day thing, working. The word for working there is ergon, and it's an energy kind of word. It's dealing with work. <laughs> and again, it's labor. And it goes right along with the other two words. Labor, hardship, working night and day. Um, so It's a man of stress. Oh, very much so. That's, and, of course, that's what he, uh, he had. It's constantly. And that's part of this, this working. The church in Thessalonica, we know, was, was poor. By reading 2 Corinthians, we, we've gotten that, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 talks about the poor church in Macedonia who gave. He gave beyond even their means. They were very generous. They were sacrificial. And, uh, and of course, you know, um, they were going to take that money to the poor saints in Jerusalem. But it's very clear that the Thessalonians were very poor, and he didn't want to be a burden uh, on them. And so the Philippian church, according to Philippians 4.16, Paul writes to them, and they had sent some money for him and his, and his ministry. But really, he earned his own way, and he didn't want to be a burden to anybody in what he was doing. 
That night and day phrase is used uh, a few times by Paul. You look at the, the next letter in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he will use it night and day. It's like constantly, right? All the time, all around the clock pretty well. It says in verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7, For you yourselves know, you know, Paul says that quite frequently in Thessalonians, how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship, tells the Thessalonians in the second letter, the same thing, doesn't it? Labor and hardship we kept working, it's those three words, isn't it? Night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. So that, that's pretty well clear, that defines what's going on in the first Thessalonians. Acts chapter 20, verse 31. There he is speaking to the Ephesians. He, he meets the Ephesians. He doesn't go into Ephesus. It's the Ephesian elders. And he meets them. Uh, and he instructs them, uh, exhorts them. And uh, then in verse 31, says, Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. That's the Ephesians. Said. Three years, night and day, he admonished, he taught, he preached, admonished, encouraged constantly. Look in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse fourteen. doesn't want to be a burden. Here for this third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you, for I do, do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents. Ah, you get it? But parents for their children. He sees himself as a father to the Corinthians, to the Thessalonians. Maybe church that he started, but that is really clear. That goes right along with our Thessalonians, then, doesn't it? I, I don't seek to be a burden. Matter of fact, I, I, I seek it for you. I'm responsible for you. I'm a, I'm a parent. I'm a spiritual father. And so Paul makes it very clear to the Corinthians the same thing. Thessalonians, uh, Philippians 4:16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. There's that part where the Philippians actually gave uh, to Paul gift, money, needs and needs. More than once for my needs. Anyway, as a matter of fact, the Philippians, he said, uh, shared uh, more than anybody. No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone at the time as he preached the gospel and supporting him. Quite, uh, quite revealing there, part of Paul. Go back to our uh, Thessalonians. Over the epistle there. So, working night and day, so it's not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim, the word is not 
fully caruso there, but it does have that root word in it, which means to proclaim, to preach. Caruso. It's a t-shirt company called Caruso. Idea was to preach the word on the that they were going. And so that's that's a, a little bit of thought of what that means. And it's the gospel of God, and Paul has used that before. Uh, earlier in this chapter, um, he spoke about uh, this gospel, the gospel of God. Uh, verse 8, I think. That's it. Romans 1 1. He uses that. Of course, it only makes sense when you're reading it. You probably would just cruise over that and just keep on going, but it's kind of fascinating. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He is the possessor of the gospel. Of course, it takes in before the foundation of the world, all of his plan that he had and, and how he uh, brings that into fruition to work through his people, bringing forth uh, the holiness of God, sinfulness of man, how he provides a savior for lost mankind, for his elect, death and burial and resurrection and the ascension and second coming and how we're to live here on the earth. I mean, it just goes on and on. And the gospel of God, whole story. Anyway, he proclaimed to them, not just Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was it? Whole so, a, a brother is going to be one who, you know, if, you, if you're using that analogy, if you want to, a father would certainly do this. A father is going to be responsible for his children. He's going to make sure that he makes ends meet because of them, you know, to provide food on the table and stuff. So, a father would do that. But a brother, a, a, a big brother, especially one who has several years on a, on a younger brother, maybe. Uh, he would take care of the younger brother. As a matter of fact, he, uh, uh, he might uh, go through some hardship uh, for him. But anyway, might break down a little bit. I don't know. It depends on uh, what kind of brother he had. You guys have had a pretty good relationship with being brothers, haven't you? Now, if I said that to somebody with, a, with another brother, they might say, ah, that, that picture doesn't work for me. <laughs> so, anyway. Well, that is one thought there, whether you want to take it as a father or a brother. Uh, in verse 10, this is dealing with the walk. We saw the work, didn't we? Labor, hardship, working, effort, toil, tired, work, work. Because you are witnesses. Again, he's reminding them of what he said in Verse 1, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you is not in vain. Look at verse 2. But after we already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God and the opposition. You knew about that. You you know that right now. I think... Um, Verse 5, for we never came with flattering speech. We didn't be flattering by as you know, knowing the pretext for greed, God is witness. Um, verse 9, 
or you recall, brethren. So he's, he's kind of go back. You know this. Hey, remember this. Go back and think about it now, right? Don't, don't forget these things. Because sometimes the very moment we can get caught up in and forget, oh, this is what that person who taught me the things of the Lord. Um, this is what, oh, I forgot about that. And that. So that's what he's, he's reminding them there. And so they, and they knew that. So he, he's got to make them remember. Um, now, he's speaking about godliness here as we look at uh, a flow of words, the vow, upright, blameless. It's a trio of words. It's a good triplet there. Um, true godliness, we know, is going to be inward. But it's also outward, too. It's not just an inward thing or an outward thing. But it's both. Um, it's definitely, you know, when you think of the inward, that's what God can see. Because the outward is what, you know, people can see. But Paul is going to appeal to both. Um, some of these even more so to one than the other, but uh, they can both override in that. As he says here, you are witnesses. Uh, you know about this. You experienced, you saw this. You felt this. You heard this. And so is God. So... You saw this, God saw it. You were a witness, God is a witness. How devout a bright place. Devout um, would be osios. Holy is the idea here. It's dealing with uh, who God is really. Um, we are to be devout or holy to God. Uh, should be before men too, but it's definitely stressing one's commitment to spiritual disciplines. What are spiritual disciplines? Reading the Word of God, prayer, worship, loving loving God, loving name, um, yeah, acting properly towards others. Right? But this is a life that's lived before God, and, and He knows what's here. So it, it's it's a pious life. That word today is a negative term, but that's a good term. Really, it really is. The Puritans wrote the march of piety. And you think of that now, it's somebody that seems to be just doing religious things, to be seen even doing religious things. It's really pious. They're uh, self-righteous, right? But that's really not the meaning of pious. It, it's dealing with uh, holiness, holy kind of living. Yeah, you see this particular word here used of God uh, in Revelation 15, 4. This word that we see in Thessalonians is used here of the Lord. Verse 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. But then, in Peter, for instance, who takes out of the Old Testament, God is holy, and therefore we are to be holy. Right? And because we have Christ, the Holy Spirit, living in our lives, we are to be holy, pious, holy. You know, spiritual disciplines that will because we love the Lord. 16 verse 5 
And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one. Holy one. Same word there. So he uses the word about there in Thessalonians. I don't know how your translations are. Most of you guys have devout there. About, don't know, got any more devout? Did any translation have holy? Revelation? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's the best one. I'm sorry. I, I, I went straight there. Sorry about that. Because that's where we were at. Oh, you do have hope. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of devout, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's it. In verse 10? In verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, how he's a holy and pure. Okay. But that's yeah. the first one. Right. Okay. So the word then would be osseous. Yeah. Was, I mean, that is the good point. Yeah. Right. And then it has righteous for the second word instead of unrighteous. Yeah, I have upright, uh, righteous. Dikaios, um, justified, dikaio, or righteous. Um, it's having a righteous character, uh, character of integrity. I'm not sure which word is to go with which kind of but it's a pure, fair, and immature. Fair would be something that would be, God is fair or he's righteous. You know, his fairness. Now, we might think of a fairness different than what God would be, but uh, I guess that would probably be the word that's translated there. So you you know you have different words there and that uh, they're coming out of the, these three Greek words. But this upright is not only is it a duty before God to be upright, but it's a duty before men, isn't it? You can see how it occurs not only with God but man in all these terms. But in one sense, the holy life sometimes can't be seen by people. It, it should, but God is the one who will be able to see that. And as far as a righteous character, people can experience that and see that if they know one is being uh, consistent. Of course, God is going to know that. Um, it's it's a, definitely a duty before both, isn't it? So I don't know if we really have to separate that much. It's being consistent with what the Word of God is, the directives, the commands that come from God. Uh, being consistent with what this says and also applying to our lives. Upright. Upright. Kairos. Next word is uh, blameless or how much you guys have had? Right, blameless, blameless, blameless. Irreproachable. Irreproachable. Nothing there that uh, anybody can put a, a, a fault to. It's not, you know, not faultless as, as in the way of sinless, you know, because Christians are still going to sin, but free from blame, where there would be an outward um, hole there that uh, would be something that people would. Really notice. All these charges really were 
uh, false that had been given dealing with Paul. And he says, you're witnesses. You know, you saw me, and, and so is God. He's a witness. I was devout. I was upright. I was blameless. Right? You, you know that. And he, he have others that are blaming him that he was none of those. What was his conduct towards believers? Well, it was these kind of things. He says, we behaved towards you believers. It was those elements. And those are important principles of anyone who's in, in ministry, whether it's at home, whether it's in the church, whether it's at work, whether it's school, whether it's dealing with um, social aspect, yeah, dealing with others, and right, yeah, um, being around people, right? And our conduct is to be to have an example of those kind of things. You know, how can we communicate to others the gospel if we don't line up with what we're preaching? Our life is to line up with what we're saying, right? And, uh, of course, I think when Jesus was trying to teach his disciples, they always had uh, a lot of pride that needed to be broken down. And uh, Jesus was rather good at that. And you remember in 13, 14, whenever uh, they were having the Passover, night before his crucifixion, it says, um, If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. He's their Lord. <laughs> He's their teacher. And of course, Peter said, no, no, Lord, you don't be washing my feet. No, no. And we know that that's the example of humility. Well, if he does that, how much more should they be able to do that with each other? And so that was the kind of conduct he was expecting them to have to be able to um, humble themselves with, with each other as they well, using the foot washing as an example. You know that so many things. Go to the like you have your rights to what you suspect that should be right. Right, if he was a teacher like he had a right of not having That's about to do a job that was only a slave's job by the way. The slave has to do that. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse seven. For you yourselves know. <laughs> Have you noticed how often he does that? For you know, right? Here he goes again. For you yourselves know, you Thessalonians, how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat in anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship. We kept working night and day, so we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, so that you would follow our example, the stamp that we have put down, that you would follow that. Living a life. Fathering. Starts with modeling, doesn't it? What a model he was that people want to look at something when they when they see something being taught and need to see it lived out. Of course, a father uh, who is one who 
in teaching his children, he should be a model um, of those for virtues. I think that the sacrifice, his parents sacrifice a lot for the kids. They give them, you know, everything for that child to succeed. As I said, I think the sacrifice is going to think of when you talk about a father for a child. Well, we certainly see that in the, the, the mother. That we looked at last week, and here's the father, the same kind of ways. Um, he uh, gave his life, sunk his life into him. So that's the kind of walk that we're talking about here in the First Thessalonians 2, when he says, Devout, devoutly, uprightly, blamelessly, we behave, we live it. So that's the walk. That's the walk. Peripateto is the word. The one parent Yes. Came right, came right there. Up there. Yeah, it means to uh, walk around. The, the idea. Now there is to, you know, when you think of para, it's alongside, parallel. This word would be about, around, or to wander out there, right? Yeah. So we even have that in our English, right? So the walk is found in verse 10. And we get into verse 11. Just as you know, <laughs> does that sound familiar? <laughs> he wants them to remember how we were, look at this triplet again, exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children. It's an example of the, the father again. Threefold emphasis. He's just a fond of threesomes, right? Is that what he wants to do? Well, raising children and building up people in the Lord. Our words are necessary. And so the words here take on uh, a lot of tones. They're so related. All through here, labor, hardship, working, uh, devout, upright, blameless. They're so close. Now you have encourage, exhort, implore. Uh, so related, but yet there's a distinctness in them. Uh, exhorting, encouraging, imploring. Uh, and, and I like this because he says, each one of you, it takes the group, it takes the church as a whole, and then he gets down to each one of you. I got a feeling Paul went to individuals and taught them and counseled them uh, maybe one-on-one, often. You know, there's a personal counsel and a personal sense whenever he says, each one of you, not just say, hey, um, you know, I talked with the, all of you guys before you said he, he takes time. That's part of it. It's like a father is going to take um, personal note to each of his children because they're all different. Develops personal relationships. All this. Even, you know, think of large churches. I don't know if you get into huge, large churches sometimes, it would be impossible for a pastor to know everybody in the church. But um, much as possible to be able to know as many as you can to really know, you know, who they are and what they're about. That's why he would engage in that kind of ministry. It's going to the ones who are not, let's say, maybe. You know, we, we would tend to think, well, let's look at the popular people. 
scripted people who had the money, who had the show, the, you know, the ones who everybody already takes note to. Well, what about going to the people that nobody ever pays attention to? What about those people that uh, are not the lovely, right? And of course, that's who Jesus worked with. This, this is ministry. I mean, this is really where it's at. So as you look at this, you really sit, start getting down into the depth of this. You see the heart of Paul and uh, you know how he changed so much. I imagine before he went to the uh, to the elite people and hung with them, only talked with the other Pharisees and such, right? Yeah. But when you get into ministry, it's dealing with everybody in every situation, and uh, lot to take note to there. There's a continuous tense here. As he says, exhorting, encouraging, and pouring. It's not just that he did it once or twice and quit, but it's a continuing kind of word here. Training, teaching, and just inspiring people, requiring repetition always. It's repeating it constantly. word there is uh, for exhorting. How many have heard of parakaleo? Famous word. Can't get away from it in the New Testament. It's there all the time. Of course, the one we note most of all is the paraclete, who is the Holy Spirit. Falls alongside to encourage it. And also in that is obey and respond. Not only just to call alongside, but there should be an obedience and a responding to that. So, so we have the Father's words here. He talked about his walk. Now he has words here for them. And he can back it up with his what? Walk the talk. So, do children need encouraging? Do they need to be called alongside? Yeah. Do they need to be challenged? Yeah. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First uh, letter. Therefore, encourage one another. Build up one another. Just as you also are doing. I like that. You see, you're doing it now. Keep on doing it. Can I ask another question? Uh, Can I get back with you? We always ask about this. Christ talks about the comforter coming. Is that word comforter and heritage, do they come from the same word? Mm -hmm. Yep. No, that's that's good. Those those questions are good. That's good. He is the company. He is the therapist. From now on, you have to sit there all questions <laughs> But comforter, then, is not in the same sense as we often think about comforting, like soothing and such. It's, it's comforting in that, it, that there's encouragement and, and um, exhorting. <laughs> right. Okay. Challenge, encouraging, yeah. challenge. The, the balance there is amazing. What the Holy Spirit does. Yeah, He convicts us, and at the same time, He He brings that the kind of comfort that a you know human brings up too. You know, we need that. And he has perfect balance. Well, He shows your sin, but then He also reminds you what Christ did for that sin. So that you comfort. It's been done. And 
these words just go right along with each other so much. We go back into the second word, and it's uh, you have exhorting, and then you have encouraging. Uh, the word for encourage here is is a different kind of a different word than we ordinarily would have. It's usually the word that we just used, so it makes a difference here. And, and it starts off with para, para muthiomai, and it means to encourage, to cheer up, to console, and even more so, I think here in the context is to stay on the course. Stay on the course. Encourage. Um, I think that Theo in there doesn't have anything to do with God. Um, no, I, you got youth there, right? Param youth. Okay, and then you have the ending there. Um, yeah, and if you get down to the very, I think the literal sense of that, it means to encourage to continue on a specific course. Um, endurance, staying power, stay with it. How often does the thought come up of just wanting to give it up? Right? It's easy to do that. It's that's a natural mode of the flesh. Something doesn't go the way you want. You just like to just quit. You know? um, a father might challenge, exhort, like we used a ago, his child, his son, to make good grades in school. That would be parallel in that sense. But he might also encourage him to stay in school, to stay the course. What's a good grade in this class that he's doing? That's short term. But we're talking about school, that's a few years or Alan's gonna have to stay the course <laughs> through these classes, but th that's short term, but then then you have seminary, which is now we're talking years. Sorry to bring that up, but it's a great example, sometimes, wasn't it? Sometimes short term <laughs> just thinking right here yeah. and getting that. Yeah. So we'd say, it's okay, Mandy. Hang in there. Look, look what you know. Look how you've been able to go through here. Look what the Lord has done in the way brought you this far. You know, you don't want to stop now. You know, keep on going. We're near the end of the race. It's just four more years. Come on. <laughs> but, then, but it's also the same thing that you're not the first one to do this. You have others around you that you've seen you succeed. So you're responsible. Just give you geologic time, Alan. Four years is really short. <laughs> Geologic time, four years is really short. And that right there is encouraging. That's encouraging. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Ellen's going to work that one up here. But that's, that's what the father would say, right? Him and Chester would go, ah, oh, four years is a long time. What would you say of the pastors who decide to retire from becoming pastors? Whether, you know. <laughs> Due to a decision that was made rather than a need that had to be Well, yeah, I, first of all, in Scripture, it really doesn't say anything about retirement. Yeah, it never yeah. says to retire from the ministry. Now, if, yeah, and I got, I got a feeling each pastor probably, like, okay, maybe that's a misleading word. I meant resign. Or change career, <laughs> you know, change their. Well, I've, known, I've known some guys that have done that, and you know, I don't know 
what each person is. And there, there you can't really read into the heart, but it's like if, if you've been called to do ministry, but it may not necessarily be always being a pastor of the church, though, too. Um, so, so I have to give that leeway. I could be, you know, boom, black and white on this issue and say a pastor shouldn't there because you've been called to do that. Or right. it's called to always do ministry, but, but it might change gears in a different way. Uh, I know uh, Piper uh, quit being a pastor at this church up in, in Minneapolis. Um, but it was was it was he giving up ministry? No, it's to further writing and I don't understand necessarily. I'm going, oh man, you know, why, why don't you keep on doing yeah. that? You know, I myself, you know, trying to get that, but I don't know his relationship with the Lord. That, but is he giving up ministry? Is he quitting? Is he going uh, elsewhere? Is he is he going to Roman Catholicism? Now, now we got a problem. You know, that revert to something that, we, yeah, yeah, Eastern Orthodox. He might have such a public ministry that he does when he wants to do ministry. Takes a lot of work. Yeah, that's how. The, didn't you retire from the priesthood at age 50? Or was that the Levites that retired? Or? Um, yeah, you're talking like the, the you know, Levitical uh, priestly. Yeah, I was 50 years old. I think it was dealing with they uh, they were not to carry. Yeah, because of it, they were having to carry the animals, the sacrificial animals. And it was a, a word. Of course, back then when they were 50, they were pretty well done. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, as far as retirement. Uh, but isn't that setting a good little precedent? At 50 years old? No. Oh, for retiring. Over retiring? Yes. Mm, not really. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, people ask me if I'm going to retire. They're thinking retiring from, like, my state job. Well, I don't plan to work there the rest of my life. The Lord might have something else in mind, uh, but in some manner or form, I want to be able to continue to, you know, to preach and teach the Word as long as I possibly can. But how I do that, in what form, I don't know what the Lord's got in mind. Uh, but you know, this this is what it's about. You know, presenting this. That's what life is to me, and so I really. But retiring from a regular job, like, there's nothing really necessarily wrong with that. But how can one retire from ministry? You did Paul Meinsen, didn't you? Yeah, but he's still doing what? He's a financial advisor for Edward Jones now. Wow. I don't know if he's doing some type of ministry as well, but... There again, knowing him, I'm sure that he's... Something we can't you can't help it though when you get called. Yeah, I mean, I could I could see him doing financial advising and ministry all in one sitting. Yeah, but you know, that might be his day job. Yeah, they did something before, but and that's what I say. I, that's where I can't get into the heart of man. Whenever they make changes, it may seem like you know, and that we can we can make all the judgments that we want. And back in my younger days, I will tell you, I was really bad at it, and I still can be bad at that. I have to be careful, because, I, and that's the reason I give anyway to say, wait a minute, how do I know really what's going on here? I don't know the whole story. And I'm not trying to make judgment of him. The point I'm just trying to make is, right. he was the last person I would figure would do that. I would figure he would pursue the ministry full-time, and 
right. do that part time, but you know, maybe there was a reason. And again, it, it might or might be maybe they got into a situation financially right. where they had to do something. Right, and that you know that very well could be. I, I, and so maybe he's doing a Paul, maybe he's doing a tent ministry there, and yet at right. the same time he's serving at his local church. Right. Yeah, I, I'm sure he didn't yeah. get completely out of it. Knowing Paul, I've got a feeling there was good reason why yeah. he's having to do one. Yeah, I don't doubt that. Either. He wasn't getting uh, richly, financially, getting a lot of things taken care of uh, so much in what he had done for many years. Right. Some, somewhere along, you have to take care of your family, too. Mm -hmm. And these times we live in, it's yeah. hard to make Of course, all the kids are gone now. It's just in this So, that helps. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, we get down into, um, okay, he implores each one, the Father. Implore is martyr, uh, martyr. We'll get that word martyr or witness, summon to witness, to bear witness. Martyr, martyr online is what it would be, to bear witness, or to solemnly charge, to beseech there. It's a solemn charge. There's an element of personal witness here, a motive of following the charge. Uh, it's authoritative emphasis, I think, here, more than the, the two preceding ones in the imploring, the witness, a charging to them. Um, 2 Corinthians 1 for a. something else to Okay. Uh, We'll finish up here in verse 12. As he's talking about lifestyle and words so that you would walk. And there's that parapetel there. Walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the nature of the motherly, fatherly ministry to believers. It's God-centered. It's kingdom-centered. It's oriented to that. Sometimes, you know, we might witness this or we might minister for wrong motives, for wrong reasons. And here the reason is, is you look at that word that finishes up the whole section, right at the end of verse 12, glory. It's all about God's glory. We have our own needs and biblical goals and objectives here, you know, in a sense, but uh, we're not here just to do religious things, it's really for the most basic view of what it's all about, the glory of God. So walk in a manner worthy, none of us are worthy, are we? None of us are worthy to be in the kingdom of God, none of us are worthy to serve God, and yet he, through the person of Christ and his work, he's made us worthy and being able to do his work, imagine it. So, tale means to walk about. It's your life. Uh, there's a pentathlon here. Uh, when you think about it, it's it's God first. It's home. It's church. It's your vocation. And then it's out to the broad spectrum to society. And that's that's our walk. Walk around our neighbors, whether it be with the poor, or the rich, whoever. Um, Walking about in all spheres of life. Whatever we do should be done to glorify God. It's a big point, isn't it? About his character, his his purpose. It's all about him. 
He calls you into His own kingdom and glory. He not only called us to salvation, but He calls us to do ministry here. And our calling ultimately is that kingdom of God. He's still calling believers to His kingdom and glory. It's a pursuit, a life of obedience and holiness under the rule, the reign of God, who's king. And the rewards are in the kingdom. Entrance into heaven is assured, but rewards and position are the result of faithful living here, faithful serving. So there we know that there are other kingdoms. This is talking about he calls you into his own kingdom glory. There are other kingdoms, there are other kind of glories out there that are competing for our allegiance. But we are spiritual children. So I think we have to not only be alert to all the false influences and take precautions to guard against the influences of one our spiritual children in Christ. Just for his glory, his kingdom. So, Paul says, hey, you know how I did it? You too walk in that way, a man worthy of the honor God. And there we have the purpose of all this. It makes sense, doesn't it? I like... Uh, the man the other day kept talking about purpose. Yeah. Of course, there it leads right into the purpose of the own kingdom and its glory. It's, the purpose is always glory to God. Glory to God. We, that's always our purpose. Our purpose right now, every moment of our life is His glory. And then when we get to go into the kingdom where Christ rules and reigns, it will be for His glory. And the eternal state, it will be for His glory. Does anybody beside me get the feeling that on those days I feel miserable? Oh, yeah. Can I get a with that? Yeah, I, oh, I feel uh, absolutely inadequate. Before, miserable. Before, you know, I'm being able to even do what we did tonight. I feel absolutely inadequate. Not adequate at all. And yet, what a privilege it is as we go through His Word and pray that His Holy Spirit would take those words that we said and take the weakness and make those uh, our strengths. Weakness that came out of me. And, uh, because I'm not going to change it. I can't do it. My dad had said a prayer the other day before he called. I thought it was very interesting. He said, um, he's asking the Lord to speak through his brokenness. Speak through Mike's brokenness. What? Hmm. It's good. I've never got it. This was. Father, thank you for your word. This is absolutely your gospel, your truth. Lord, as we see these words, we see these kind of works that have been given. And we see how we are to walk. Lord, put all these together in, in our minds and make us remember. Uh, these are just not anything new at all. No new ideas here, Lord. 
something that we've heard so often in our lives, but how often we need to be reminded some of the most basic things we can tend to get away from. And Lord, oh Lord, we know this is for your glory. There is a kingdom that we live in now, and there is a kingdom to come. We look for that. And so, uh, Lord, it's broken as we may be in our we know that you are the one who comes and takes the pieces and puts them together. That's what you do in all of our lives. And so we be conformed to the very wholeness, the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this evening. Everybody has come out here tonight, Lord. We need the Lord all Amen. Amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you. Until next time.